Welcome to Wonderland, the podcast where I go down the rabbit hole to research things you may be curious about. My name is Ami, and I'll be your guide on this trip to Wonderland. Welcome back to Wonderland, my friends. I am glad you're here with me today. The rabbit hole we're going down today, I think, is incredibly interesting, and I only learned in the past few years that this was even a thing. Before we go down this particular rabbit hole, I want you to stop and close your eyes. Are they closed? Good. Now, picture a dog. Are you picturing it? What does it look like? Now picture it wearing a sombrero. Can you see it? Now picture it wearing a little shirt. What color is that shirt? Now open your eyes. How was that experience for you? Did you see a cute little dog in a shirt wearing a sombrero? Did you know that not everyone listening did? It's true. In fact, three in 100 people likely saw nothing as we went through those steps, including me. And more so, there's a good possibility that the 3% who didn't actually picture anything didn't know that the other 97% actually could see this image in their mind's eye. If you're one of the folks who can conjure an image in your brain, it may seem insane that there are people who can't. But if you're one of the people who can't, you might have been shocked to find out that most people can. And the fact that you see nothing is pretty unusual. I had no idea that people actually saw things when they pictured them until a couple of years ago. A co-worker suggested that I check out a guided meditation, and as I listened to the speaker describe focusing on this conjured image that he was creating in the space between our eyes and our brain, I began to question, could these people actually see what he was describing as if they were looking at a picture? I know what sand looks like, and the ocean, and the waves, but I wasn't actually seeing those things as he was describing them. But it kind of seemed like everybody else was. So I started to ask people around me, could they see things like a picture when it wasn't there? And I was floored to find out not only could they, but nearly everyone I knew could. And they were baffled that I couldn't. So that's where my journey began. And to understand this phenomenon, we're going to start with how people are seeing things that aren't there. I wonder. 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 So what is the mind's eye? The mind's eye commonly refers to the human's ability for visualization. A mental image is produced that resembles the experience of perceiving an object, event, or screen, but occurs when the thing being perceived is not actually present to the senses. The idea of mind's eye can be credited to Cicero, who referenced mentis oculi in discussing simile. He observed that the eyes of the mind are more easily directed to those objects which we have seen than to which those we have only heard. Chaucer made comment on use of the mind's eye in 1387 in The Man of Law's Tale in Canterbury Tales. In it, he is telling of blind men living in a castle. And near the castle dwelt such men three, but one of them was blind and could not see. 
except with the inner optics of his mind, wherewith all men see after they go blind. The concept of being able to visualize things that aren't there has been anecdotal for millennia. But it wasn't until around 1880 that scientists began to study the differences in how the mind's eye operates in different people. So now you know that not everyone can see things in their mind's eye. What do you think this phenomenon is called? I told you a few minutes ago about how I can't see images that aren't there. So you at least are now aware that this occurs. The term for this is aphantasia. Now, I learned about aphantasia a few weeks ago when Andy commented on my last video. I don't have any... She sees them again. Now, this is where I'd normally talk about what causes aphantasia, but, of course, we don't know because it was just identified a month ago. The process of visual... ...about beaches. While a lack of imagination may seem like a drawback, people with aphantasia seem to have developed ways around it. MX showed increased... Aphantasia is derived from the ancient Greek word phantasia, meaning imagination, and the prefix a meaning without, so literally, without imagination. Another interesting phenomenon is hyperphantasia, which is a condition of having an extremely vivid imagination. It was Francis Galton who first described this condition in statistical study in 1880 on mental imagery. In his case, however, he found that it was very common among his peers. To my astonishment, I found that the great majority of the men of science to whom I first applied protested that mental imagery was unknown to them. And they looked on me as fanciful and fantastic in supposing that the words mental imagery really expressed what I believed everybody supposed them to mean. They had no more notion of its true nature than a colorblind man who has not discerned his defect has of the nature of color. Despite the lack of visual imagery being brought to light as early as the 1800s, it wasn't truly really studied until Professor Adam Zeman from the University of Exeter published a case of a patient who came to him after having lost his ability to conjure images in his brain following minor surgery in 2005. So, what sets us apart from the rest of creation? What makes the human mind different from other minds? Many people have thought about that, and there are many candidate answers, but one that's always attracted me is, very broadly, imagination. So, the capacity to recollect the past, anticipate the future, enter the virtual world that's created by a novel or an opera or, or a film, or the world created by a scientist to, to understand something about the beginning of the universe or the ultra-microscopically small. So I rather agree with Robin Dunbar, who's an anthropologist who wrote, what sets us apart is a life in the mind, the ability to imagine. I should say very broadly to imagine, and I'll come back to that. But on that background, I was intrigued when about 15 years ago, this referral letter arrived. I was working as a neurologist in Edinburgh, uh, asking me to see someone who had lost the ability to visualize, having had it up till then. So, following a procedure, an angioplasty, he'd had a procedure on his heart, he's become aware of the fact that he's now unable to imagine anything. He notes this particularly at night, when he's never been a good sleeper, previously used to imagine things to help himself get off to sleep, now can't do so, can't picture his children or his grandchildren in his mind. Zeman's publication was in 2010, and several people approached him to report that they never had the ability to visualize things. Zeman's team then published a paper on what they termed as congenital aphantasia in 2015, which renewed interest in the topic. So if you had to guess some ways that aphantasia may be diagnosed, what might you guess? 
on the vividness of visual imagery questionnaire, which gives you a measure of imagery vividness. Zeman utilized the Vividness of Visual Imagery Questionnaire, VVIQ, which was developed by David Marks in 1973 to evaluate the quality of mental image of 21 self-diagnosed and self-selected participants. Zeman identified aphantasics by their lack of voluntary visualizations, meaning they could potentially still have involuntary visualizations, such as dreaming. I actually fall into this category. I have incredibly vivid dreams, so it's extra strange that if I try to bring forth an image in my mind, that there's just nothing. The VVIQ consists of 16 items in four groups of four. The participant is asked to consider the mental image formed in thinking about specific senses or situations. The vividness is rated along a five-point scale. One is no image at all. I only know that I'm thinking of the image. Two, dim and vague image. Three, moderately realistic and vivid. Four, realistic and reasonably vivid. Five, perfectly realistic, as vivid as seeing. I'm actually going to go through the types of things asked on this questionnaire with you now. I'd love to hear your scores, 0 to 80, so be sure to comment on our social media or shoot me an email. So first, think of some relative or friend whom you frequently see, but who is not with you at the moment, and consider carefully the picture that comes to your mind's eye. Rate, using the 1 to 5 scale I just gave you, the exact contours of the person's face, their head, their shoulders, and their body. Now, rate the characteristic poses of their head and their body language. How about the precise carriage, such as the length of their step when walking? And finally, the different colors they wear in familiar clothing. That's it, that's the first section. What did you score? Could you not bring forth an image and you rate a zero? Could you see your loved one walking, wearing their favorite t-shirt, just as vividly as they were in the room with you, and get a 20? For the next section, visualize a rising sun. Carefully consider the picture in your mind's eye. How would you rate your ability to see the sun rising above the horizon in a hazy sky? What about the sky clearing and surrounding the sun with blueness? Oh no, now there are clouds. A storm blows in and there's lightning. Can you see it? The storm passes and a rainbow appears. Do you see it? What did you score on this one? Could you see the whole sequence as described? Did you see anything at all? Hey, now it's time to go shopping. Think about a store you go to frequently. Think carefully about the image in your mind. Can you see the overall appearance of the store from the opposite side of the road? Now picture a display that is outside of the building or maybe in a window. Include the colors, shapes, details of individual items for sale. Do you see them? You're near the entrance now. Can you see the colors of the door? Any details about its mechanics or shape? The floor beneath your feet? Now you can go in the shop and buy something. When you go to the checkout, the cashier helps you and money changes hands. 
What do you see? So how did that one go for you? All zeros? All fives? A mix? Time for the last one. This time, you aren't going to imagine something that you've necessarily seen before. Picture a country scene that involves trees, mountains, and a lake. Are you picturing it? Carefully consider this picture. How vividly can you see the contours of the landscape? What about the color and the shape of the lake? How about the color and the shape of the trees? Ah, feel that? A strong wind blows on the trees in the lake, causing reflections in the water. Can you see it? How vividly? That's it. Each section you could have gotten between 0 and 20 points. We did all four sections, so you could have gotten up to 80 points. How many points did you get? How vivid is your mind's eye? As you can tell from the nature of this questionnaire, it's incredibly subjective. It relies upon a person's own self-assessment of what they are or are not seeing. For this reason, this method of validation has received some criticism. More recently, researchers have begun to use brain scans to find the circuitry that gives rise to aphantasia. Decision-making regions at the front of the brain send signals to regions at the back, which make sense of information given to us from our eyes. These top-down signals can cause visual regions to produce images that aren't there. In one study, participants with self-diagnosed aphantasia, as well as some with self-diagnosed hyperphantasia, and finally a control group who claimed neither, had their brain scanned. Scientists had the volunteers let their minds wander while being scanned. Those with hyperphantasia displayed more activity in the regions linking the front of the brain to the visual centers at the back. Additional research has suggested that the pupillary dilation may also be indicative of aphantasia. In one study, participants with aphantasia and without were asked to look at bright shapes against a gray background, which caused the participants' pupils to become smaller. They were then asked to look at dark shapes after switching a light off, and their pupils became larger. Afterwards, they were asked to imagine the shapes they had seen. The expansion and constriction of their pupils for those who did not have aphantasia closely mimicked the changes that they had seen when they were literally looking at the shapes. For those who had aphantasia, little to no change was detected in pupil size when they were asked to visualize the same shapes. So the science is still out on this. Primarily, people self-diagnose whether or not they can see images in their minds. And for those who do see images, how they see those images varies pretty widely. Some folks see the image, but it's fuzzy. This is hypophantasia. Some folks see the picture clearly and vividly. This is just fantasia. And we already discussed the remainder of the folks who experience the visualizations extremely vividly, which is hyperphantasia. There is plenty of anecdotal information available, and there are some interesting hypotheses out there. One 2020 study concluded that people with aphantasia also have less vivid autobiographical memories, meaning that while their counterparts may be able to remember their wedding day like they were watching a video, people with aphantasia can remember the day, they can probably tell you who was there, what people wore, what songs they danced to, but it's more like a list of facts they committed to memory and less like watching the day in their mind. Similarly, 
people with aphantasia may have difficulty recognizing faces or navigating spaces. What's interesting to me about this is that I am notoriously bad at placing people who are outside of their usual setting. For example, I once had a coworker that I worked with for several months. I knew them and we were friendly. I had no problems recognizing them at work. I once saw them at a bar and they came over to say hi, and I knew that I knew them, but I didn't know from where. And I literally worked with this person several times a week. I didn't initially realize that there's a good possibility it's connected to the fact that I can't visualize anything partly because at the time I didn't realize that other people could. So while most people store a picture of people they know, I essentially store a list of facts about that person's appearance. Brown hair, kind of wavy, green eyes, thick eyebrows, average height, a little thin, wears a blue polo, and brown rock ports. So if you change any aspect of that, it becomes more difficult for me to place them. There's also some anecdotal evidence that people with aphantasia move on more quickly because they're not subject to flashbacks or replaying tragic events in their lives. Additionally, it is not uncommon for people with aphantasia to also display characteristics of autism, including impaired social skills and decreased imagination. Aphantasia is considered a normal variation of the human experience and does not require treatment. That being said, however, it can have an impact on various aspects of a person's life, including learning. Mental imagery plays a role in learning, so some people with aphantasia may find more difficulty with some learning. As a personal example, my husband and my son are both very good at math. One day, after I had learned that I likely have aphantasia, we were helping my son with his homework, and my husband and son both began doing the problem in their head, while I wrote out the math. My son commented on it, and I said I couldn't really do math in my head well because I couldn't remember all of the numbers. Then he asked me, why I didn't just put the numbers on the chalkboard in my brain so that I could remember them. And my mouth dropped. I asked my husband if he could see numbers in his mind when doing math, and he said they weren't on a chalkboard, but yes, he could see the numbers. It had never occurred to me that people could do math this way. People with aphantasia often spend much of their life not knowing that they're experiencing memories in life differently. It doesn't mean a lack of imagination, though. In fact, Ed Catmull, the former president of Pixar, announced that he has aphantasia in 2019. Several sci-fi and fantasy authors such as Yoon-Han Lee, Mark Lawrence, and Michelle Sagara are reported to also have aphantasia. Magician and television personality Penn Jillette also experiences aphantasia. They are proof that not being able to visualize something in their mind doesn't mean they can't be creative and imaginative. Well, that's it for now, guys. The research is still out there, so there's so much more to learn about our visual memories. Thanks for joining me today, and until next time, be safe, be kind, and stay curious. The Welcome to Wonderland podcast is copyrighted by Amy Bland and is part of Barrett Gruber Entertainment Division. This podcast is recorded at the podcast studio at GOT Sound Studio in Lexington, South Carolina. Any thoughts or opinions expressed as part of this production are those of the host unless otherwise indicated. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Please follow, like, and share this podcast. Find us on Facebook at Welcome to Wonderland the Podcast and on Twitter at Wonderland underscore pod. To submit corrections, additional information, or requests for episodes, please email the host at Welcome to Wonderland the Pod at gmail.com.
stop recording. Welcome to Wonderland as part of the GOT Podcast Network and a product of Barrett Gruber Entertainment and Media.